No love for a video. Okay, well, sorry, I filled that up so much today, and then, you know, nothing uh, of the video. But I will try to um, paint as much of a picture and story of kind of what we're going to be talking about today. And then, even better than the video, you guys can make little animated videos in your brains about what you think God is teaching you. And as a matter of fact, that's actually kind of how it is because the Word of God is going to work differently with every single one of you. Um, because it's not me or Kevin or a guest speaker that's going to come here and just going to inspire you to do something different in your life. It's going to be the Word of God. Um, yes, Emily. So what, what Stanley mentioned is sometimes in schools or in sports and or in business settings, people will bring motivational speakers. And the speaker will go out there and say awesome things about how you should be doing this and that and how to make your life amazing, right? And there's nothing wrong with those types of things because the Bible calls us to be encouraging and speak edifying things into our lives. So there's nothing wrong with that. However, no speaker, no matter how eloquent, right, how well-spoken they are, how convincing they are, um, how well-read and educated they are, um, they don't really have the power to work into your life like the Word of God has, right? Because the Word of God, just like the Bible says, is a double-edged sword. So it will do things to you that no other inspirational speaker or motivational speaker or any of the New York Times best-selling new author, when you read their book, will do to you. So the only requirement is that you do not harden your hearts but instead, you let God work on your heart. Because very easily, no matter how strong the Word of God is, you can say, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to take this into my life. Um, and just kind of tune it out. Shut your ears. And then very easily, the Word of God will be spread. The seed will be sown. But you will have been that hard, rocky soil that did not want to accept it. So today as we begin, make sure that your heart is prepared to hear what God wants to teach you guys. Look what Zoran wants to teach you. <clears throat> Zoran is an architect by profession. He's an artist. He teaches a class on environmental design. Zoran is not a preacher. Right? Um, but what I'll try to do today is, is kind of distribute what the Word of God is, and then the Word of God will do things to your life. As long as you open up your heart and you're ready to accept what God wants to teach you. Does that make sense? So I hope you guys came prepared to hear what God wants to teach you. And um, in the absence of an animation, <laughs> uh, I'll give you just a little bit of a brief synopsis of what we're going to talk about today. Now, we have come all the way up, and um, we are... Uh, 
talked about Joshua, we talked about how the Israelites crossed the River Jordan, and they uh, inhabited the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised them. So after the journey in the desert, the 40 years, and they crossed over the Jordan, they inhabited the land of Canaan. And uh, was it easy? Did they just inhabit it, or was there lots of fighting that had to happen? Lots of fighting. Who did they have to Who? The nations they were present over right? So that land was already full of people. Okay, different types of nations, different types of people. And they had to fight many different battles. And who led them in these battles? Well, God did, of course, but on the ground, who was the designated leader? And Abraham, because Abraham was much earlier. He was, well, Moses was in the desert, and then he was Joshua. That's right, we talked about it, okay? And then we said that after Joshua died, Kevin spoke about that um, last week, who was in charge leading a lot of the different tribes of Israelites that had settled in the land of Canaan? We call them the what? The the judges, that's right, okay. So were these people really judges like the judges on TV, you know, like in a courtroom? Or were they more like leaders of the of the people? They were more like leaders of the people, that's right. And if you guys remember, Kevin said how some of them uh, overlap in terms of their rulership or leadership because one would be in charge of a tribe or... Um, yeah, one of the tribes of Israel in the south, whereas one would be in the north, one would be on the one side of maybe the Jordan, one on the other side, some of them overlapped, etc. But they were in charge of kind of leading the, all of the tribes of Israel together during the time. And during that time, if you guys remember, Israel did really good or they kind of struggled? Struggled, okay? So there's always that back and forth going on between them choosing to follow what God tells them to do and then on the other choosing to follow what their environment. The environment where they are is what? Who is their environment? The people that already used to live over there, okay? So were those people God-fearing people or were they more idolaters? They were idolaters, that's right. So, uh, and God told them, like, make sure that you're not following the ways of the people over there. You are the one that is bringing the truth. You are the one that has to assert, eliminate, take away everything that's wrong, clean it up completely, and then plant truth in this land that can sprout, and then the whole world will know about the glory of God, like we talk about. Okay, struggling with that. Okay, they were not. You know, they would take up what the people would do. They would practice what the people would do. They would marry. You know, we talked about Samson. You know, they would marry uh, women or men. It's a woman perspective from. The local tribes, the adulterous people, okay? And then they would kind of turn them away from God little by little, step by step, okay? So all in all, it made it for a very difficult time. Okay? Lots of struggles, lots of difficult issues. Um, God would allow the local tribes to overtake Israel so that Israel is in a big distress, in a very trouble. And then when they were in big trouble, they would remember God, and then they would call on God, and then God would bring up deliver. So, very certainly the story today is about maybe one of those difficult times that Israel was going through, and it was a time of famine, okay? So, <clears throat> things were not doing real good in Canaan, you know? The land was not producing enough food. Uh, maybe it hadn't rained properly, okay? Back in those days, the land 
and the growing of plants and crops depended very heavily on the rain, okay? Because they didn't have as much of what back then? What do we have now that allows plants to grow very, very strongly all the time? <clears throat> we have artificial irrigation, and then number two starts with F. Fertilizer, that's right. So think about it. Back then, the artificial irrigation is not as developed, and there's not as much fertilizer. The only fertilizer is natural fertilizer from manure, etc., from animals. Now we have a lot more of those things. So back then, think about it. If things are not working out really good naturally, there is going to be shortage of food because you have so many people. Those people need to eat so much food. If the land produces then that, there is a shortage. So the ones that are on the top, kings and rulers, etc., probably will have enough. But you can very quickly see how the ones at the bottom, the poorer people, there's going to be lots of people that are not going to have enough food. So we're going to talk about the story of Ruth today. And the story of Ruth begins during one of those very difficult times in the time of Israel. It's a time of famine. And uh, <clears throat> a family in Israel, in the land of Canaan, from Judah, um, it says from the tribe of Ephraim, decide to leave the land of Canaan because there is a famine and then go elsewhere where there is a little bit of food. Okay, so that's kind of the beginning. So let's go over um, to the first slide and then um, we'll get going and we'll see kind of how that story works. All right, so keep this in mind. We're, gonna, we, we're always thinking about how the Bible is like a story. So when, this, when I start kind of explaining things, you'll see kind of how God weaves the stories of outsiders, insiders, how different times affect everything like that. So keep, always keep that in mind, okay? So on the next one. Here's our little map. And just to kind of give a little bit of an introduction of kind of where we are, okay? We obviously started over there in the Persian Gulf with the Euphrates River and then the movement of Abraham. And then he went to the land of Canaan and then they were taken into Egypt because of Joseph. And then they, were came, they came back with Moses and then Joshua helped them to cross over where the Jays into the land of Canaan, then they inhabited the land, and now they went to the judges, and they're still in that area where the J is, in the land of Canaan, but they've been going through troubles during the area of the judges, and the times of the judges, and now they have the famine, and then the family that I mentioned over here is going to go from the land of Canaan on the west side of the River Jordan, okay? They're going to go on the other side of the River Jordan, pretty much kind of where Joshua crossed, so where Joshua came, and they, he said to everybody, all the Israelites, we're going to cross the River Jordan and we're going to go into the land of Canaan. And they did that. Now that family is going to retrace the steps. They're pretty much going to go back, cross the River Jordan, and go on the other side into the land of the Moabites. So, but we are all over there in the little J. So we're not, we don't have as many large kind of sweeping geographical moves. People are not moving hundreds or thousands of miles. It's all fairly close, you know. It's, it's 150, 200, 300 miles. So these are not terribly long distances. In other words, it would have taken them years to get to where they were going, okay? So if they left when there was a famine, the family would end up in Moab, I don't know, maybe several weeks, several months later, but it's kind of shorter time periods, okay? So just to keep a context on that, okay? Let's keep going. All right, so 
<clears throat> Today we're going to talk about the fate of a foreign woman, and that is Ruth. But Ruth has not come into the story that I just started to explain to you guys, because the family that I mentioned at the time that I talked about has nothing to do with Ruth right now. So we're going to talk about how they're getting connected. And there is a sub-story over there that I want you guys to keep in mind, and I'll explain it a little bit later, and it's this thing that, that says how we are getting connected to the guardian redeemer and what that means. That's going to be an important thing kind of in the middle of the story. So let's go on the next slide. I'll give you guys the outline a little bit. So we're going to start by weaving the threads of God's story. So this little intro to the story that I briefly explained to you guys, this little family in search for better life, escaping the famine. Um, we'll talk about how that family weaves with Ruth and how Ruth becomes part of the greater story of God. Okay? Um, and then we'll look a little bit about Ruth's character and kind of what it is about it that's so significant that we can learn from. Okay? And along the side of that, there's going to be another character named Boaz. And we're going to talk about his character and how he also can be an example for us to follow. Some, you know, somebody that can teach us about what it means to have a godly character to follow God in a way that uh, is good and how we live our lives. And we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of the good advice or a good advice. And that has to do with the relationship of Ruth and she will have with her mother-in-law. And I'll explain kind of how all of these things work together. So there's several different parts. And let's see how they all start to weave together. So let's go on the next slide. All right. <clears throat> so uh, the story. One word. Yeah. All right. So the story is actually two different stories at the beginning. So you can kind of see two lines. One is on one side of the Jordan, the other one is on the other side of the Jordan. Okay, so you can see on the on your left, on my right over there, or if you want to look at it like as if, as if it's on a map, we have the land of Canaan. Okay, the location is Bethlehem, Judah. Who else is from Bethlehem? Who was born there? Jesus was, exactly, right? So, so we have on that side in the land of Canaan, in Judah, in Bethlehem, we have the family of Elimelech. Okay, Elimelech is a guy. He is married and he has two sons. It's his family. And like I said, things are not going really good right now in the land of Judah, in the area of Bethlehem over there. They're going through a famine. There is not, in other words, there is not enough food. Okay? Famines can be caused, by the way, by several different things. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a drought. Sometimes wars uh, will cause famines because, you know, another nation will occupy another nation and they will take away all of their supplies of food, so it will cause a shortage. So uh, famine, it just means that there's a shortage of food. There's not enough of food to feed the whole nation. So we have his family. His wife's name is Naomi. And he's got two kids, Malon and Kilion. Okay? So you can think of them. Happy family, but things are not going really good. And the dad says to his wife, honey, we got to do something about it. Uh, we have two growing boys. They're eating us out of existence. We, there's no food for them. We got to go do something about it. We got to find a solution. So they sit down. They agree. We heard that uh, it's actually not that bad in Moab. So let's go to Moab. Okay. 
So they make a decision to do that and they end up going. But the introduction is that there is a story on one side, okay? It is in Bethlehem. It's the family of Elimelech with his wife Naomi, with his sons Malon and Kilian. And the thing to remember is that these people are Israelites and they are worshipers of the Lord. Okay? So they they worship God. Okay, they worship the Lord, um, the God the Father. So on the other side, parallel of the Jordan, there's another story. Just like it often is in life. You know, while we have a story of our life, meanwhile somebody else, another person somewhere else, has another story of their life. And sometimes things just go parallel and never cross, and sometimes things cross, and, and paths cross, etc. Just like, I'll give you an example of me and Grace. So, until 2001, it was two parallel stories of me and Grace. Right? She lived in Ohio, and you know, she was going uh, to school, she was actually homeschooled, she was going to school of promise, okay, was the name of her school and living with her sisters and her life, going to church. God was growing her, working on her life. Uh, and on the other side of the river, actually it's the ocean, in Europe, there was another boy, right? He's 16, 17-year-old boy. Melissa and Kevin were asking me how old I was when I came here. I was 17. So here's a boy. He is living his life, hanging out with his sisters, his friends, going to high school, all that stuff, etc. And then... Um, by God's provisions, uh, he has an opportunity to come to the United States. And I come into the United States and I get connected or I get attached with a family that is there responsible to kind of oversee my welcoming in this country or my stay in this country. And that family happens to be of relationships. And at the time, she doesn't really know anything about me yet, but several years later, down the road after I've been here for a while, they decide to come to visit their relatives in Florida. And when they come to visit their relatives in Florida, there is somebody else that lives with their relatives in Florida. And they go over there, there's a foreign boy, like who is this kid, right? So all of that to say that there's all parallel stories in the world, right? Things that happen. Um, until somehow, by God's provision or other ways, however you want to look at it, those paths cross. And there is an interaction of something will happen to it. So again, that's why I want you to think of this. It's just two stories. Okay, on one side, we have family of Elimelech, his wife Naomi, two kids. They're worshippers of the Lord. Difficult times coming in the land of um, Judah. On the other side of the river, it's the land of Moab. Uh, Moab are idol worshippers. Those are the people that were there before the Israelites come. Um, and there's a bunch of different people, a bunch of different families, but there are two families that are interesting. It's the family of Ruth and Orba. Sorry for writing Oprah. I messed up the slightly dyslexic of those two letters over there. So, so it's two families, two different families, and they have girls. One family Ruth and the other one has Orba. And they're just going about their own life, okay? They're Moabites, they live their lives. I'm sure their parents send them over to fetch water from the river. You know, just doing things like that, okay? They probably are not even aware that, oh, this is an assumption, that there's a famine in the land of Judah, okay? That could be, could be not, okay? But kind of living their own lives, separate stories completely. And the difference between these two things is that they are idol worshippers. It's important to remember that, okay? So, and the story begins in two different places. Again, two different families, different lives, two different cultures, completely the culture of the Israelites, 
is very different from the cultural of the Moabites, okay? Very, very different. Uh, and again, two different locations. One is on one side of the Jordan River, and the other one is on the other side of the Jordan River, okay? So let's go to the next slide. All right, so again, we're just kind of picking up on the line worshipers of the Lord, idol worshipers. So here's that famine that we talked about. A famine forces the people of Judah in search for food and sustenance. So what they're going to do is they're going to come over here and they're going to cross the river and they're going to join into the other line. Okay, so so they're doing that because they need to find food for their um, for their family. You know. Americans, some, uh, some Americans understand this, but a lot of Americans don't really understand that is that when immigrants come to this country, uh, and we talked about this with Grace oftentimes, you know, the sacrifice that people have to make to leave their home, the roots, the relationships, the relatives that they built over many, many years, um, and leaving all of that to go to a country just to make some money. But Here's the thing, most of the people that come in this country, immigrants, don't just come because they just want to become billionaires. Most of the time they come because the area where they are is just unbearable, okay? Um, I'll use the example of Haiti because um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of you guys are from Haiti, you know, Pearson and, and several other people over here at Willow, uh, Willow Key. Haiti is known as one of the poorest countries in the world. It actually is, I think, statistically the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. So, when people of Haiti, I guess fathers who have children to feed, um, cannot find enough food to feed their children, it probably is very heavy on their heart. You know, um, you know, as you guys know, me and Grace are expecting right now. So. Uh, so you start to think about, like, I want to make sure I have enough food to feed my family. So the fathers play a very important role because they're the leaders of the family. And, and they're the ones that are responsible for making sure that there is food to eat. So uh, in Elimelech's case over here, there is nothing to eat. So they have to go and do something about it. So that's why they cross and they go over to the other side. And now the likelihood of them kind of bumping with the other story of Ruth and Orpah over here is increasing because now they're in the same area because Elimelech's family has come into Moab, okay? So, were there questions? Never mind, I thought I heard, I have a question. Sorry for that. So, <clears throat> they've come into the new area and look what's happening. Malon <clears throat> sees Ruth, he likes her, or the parents think it's going to work out pretty good, and there is a plus between them. So Malon and Ruth come together and they marry, and Kilon and Orpah come together and marry. So now, these two stories have not just bumped, they're tied. Okay? You see how they just kind of completely got connected over there? Right? And in addition, what's happened though is, is they have gotten tied before... The kids got married, uh, their father died, and then the kids got married, and then 10 years later, both of the sons die as well. So, do you guys realize what happened? They moved into the other area, 
for a better life, but it didn't work out quite as much because the father dies first, and then the kids marry with two women of the Moabites. However, after 10 years, it says, they die as well. So then, who do we have left? Just the mom and her two daughter-in-laws, right? So the mom's name was, who remembers from the first slide? Naomi. And the two girls are Orpah and Ruth. There you go. Okay, so let's go into the <clears throat> let's go into the next one over here. So there's no questions asked, there's no desired. Alright, so we talked about the death of Elimelech, Malon, and Killian. So eventually, they're in the land of Moab. News comes. Whether a pigeon came and delivered something or a person on a horse came and delivered news. Uh, they didn't have newspapers at the time. Uh, I'm pretty sure there wasn't Google News or Apple News. I don't think they had ABC, NBC. I don't know about CBS. CBS may have been, but no, I'm just kidding. There's no TV whatsoever, not, none at all. So, but news comes still. So even before news agencies and USA Today and the New York Times, People would bring news, good news, bad news, etc. So as who is left over there, Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, they're hanging out and living in Moab. Pretty sad because her husband died and then two sons, the husbands of each of the girls died. So it's a sad situation with lots of death, lots of suffering. The story comes, the news comes from the homeland saying the famine is over. In other words, things are back to normal in Israel again, on the other side of the Jordan River, okay? So let's go on the next slide. Okay, so this is the verse in the Bible. This is Ruth 1.6. So we're just starting the story of Ruth, okay? The first chapter, verse 6. So it says, while Naomi was in Moab, right? We talked about that. She heard that the Lord had come to help his people and had given them food again. So she and her daughters-in-law, okay, remember, those are the only ones left, got ready to leave Moab and return home. In other words, she said, my daughters, we need to get back home. So grab your stuff, get some boxes, put things together, let's get ready to go. Okay, so let's go on the next one. And then Naomi is thinking and says to them, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown me kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant to that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So, what is happening over here? What is Naomi saying to her daughters-in-law? She's saying, look, I am an Israelite. I want to go back home. I'm an old woman. I have some relatives. I'll be fine. You two are young women, okay? I know your husbands are dead. Um, if you come into my world, it's a different culture and everything like that. I don't have any more kids. You can't marry any of my children. I'm really old, even if I had a son, by the time he grows up to be of marrying age, you're going to be pretty old. So 
she's saying, I don't see this working out. It just, it's going to be much better for you if you stay here, go to your mother's home, and I'm sure they will find another suitable husband for you. You can marry and kind of start your own family. So in some ways, she's reasonable, right? She's thinking for them. She, you know, we saw in the previous uh, verse over there, she gives them the Lord's blessing. She says, you are good, good wives to my sons. You took good care of me. Uh, I love you. I wish you all the best. I think it's going to be the best for you. Okay? But let's go to the next one. So she says this to them, and it's pretty sad. It's a sad situation. They love their mother-in-law. And it says that this, they wept aloud again. So they're kind of, it's a, it's a sad situation. Then Orpah, one of the girls, remember it's Ruth and Orpah, the daughters-in-law, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth flunked. So, two of them. One of them says, you know what, mom? she referred to her probably mother you're right it's the best I really need to go back to my mother I love you and she's crying she's sad that she has to leave but she's like I'll stay here I'll go to my mother's home I'll find a husband etc but Ruth on the other hand she's like I'm not leaving you so as the thing here says Ruth clung to her so let's see look says no so she's telling her again in case Ruth didn't quite get it because it's an emotional situation I know she misses her she says look and now your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her God okay going back to idolatry go back with her just go with her but let's see Ruth's response but Ruth replied don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there, I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, a statement that's used often in the Old Testament, uh, which is a kind of very serious, like whatever I'm saying next is just like a very strong commitment, right? Be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So would you say Ruth is pretty determined to stay with her mother-in-law? She's strong, right? So when Naomi sees this, so when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So, keep in mind that word determined because that's going to be our bridge for the next one. It's going to start us on the character study of Ruth's, Ruth's character. Okay? But here's the, here's the picture of the thread over here that I want you guys to kind of see. So, it's the decision, the news of the famine overcomes, and then the decision is made to return to Judah. And Naomi tells to both of her daughters-in-law, you can go back. One of them says, your advice is good, I will take it. Ruth says, no, I'm connected with you, I want to stay with you. So you can see Orpah decides to stay, and she stays in that line over there, in Moab. Okay? Whereas Ruth returns to Judah with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And then they cross the Jordan River.
and now they're back on the other side, kind of where they start. So, uh, if you can you go back like several slides to the very, very first one? I should have put it last, but um, so go back. I just want you to see, so you can see kind of the whole story of the weaving. Just, just go back to the. Uh huh. So next slide. Sorry, so that one. Next one. There you go. So, so here's the paths. You saw where those two lines kind of started. You, see, you saw how the famine brought God, uh, God's people over there into the other side, and how. Those two girls from Moab were introduced to God's truth, to God's story. Okay? One of them chose to stay with God's truth no matter what. And then she returned to God's people and one of them chose to reject it. Okay? So, uh, I want you to think about it this way a little bit. And, you know, we're not going to dwell on this too much, but... That is what God does with every single one of us. Because we are that line on the right of you guys. That is the idol worshippers, the sinners, just like that. And then God weaves his story into our lives at some point. Okay, I don't know when that happens for you guys, right? When was the time when you first heard about God's story? When was the time when you first heard about God's kingdom? For some people, it's very early. In Grace's example, it was very early in her life because her family was a God-fearing family. So from the early parts of her life, she was raised to know of God's story, okay? So that weaving of God's story is much earlier in her life, right? For others, it may be later. For me, I kind of had an understanding of all who God is and there was God-fearing in my family, but not necessarily the full truth of, of the gospel. And, and the truth of God's kingdom. So for me, it was a little bit later after I came into the United States. But, again, that story of kind of how God's kingdom and His truth comes into our lives is not that different from what happened with those two girls. Okay? Uh, and then the only response is, what are you going to do with it? Okay? Are you going to choose to stay and sort of let God's story return and then you continue your life as it never happened is in the case of Orpah or are you going to choose to accept it and then join the family of God on the other side Okay, because God tells us that uh, for the Gentiles who are not Israelites when they accept um, the gospel of Jesus when they accept the gift of what Jesus has done for us they are grafted into the family. They're adopted into the family of God, into the Israelites, okay? So you can kind of see how Ruth is taken from that land of idolaters, and she's going to be grafted into the people of Israel. She's kind of taken over there. But what, what's really interesting is how uh, it's God's initiative to reach into our lives, okay? Um, in, in the New Testament, you know, Jesus will say, Behold, um, I knock at the door. If there is anybody there, I am willing to come inside and sit down and dine with them. Okay. In other words, it's Jesus' initiative to come over and be with us. Okay. It's God's initiative that sent Jesus, His Son, to the earth so that the world is redeemed through them. So, God's story is the one that comes and interferes in our lives. Okay. 
we are just doing our own thing, just walking blindly in sin until one day God's kingdom and his truth comes and conflicts us. And then we have a choice. Do we believe what God's kingdom and God's truth says to us? Or do we choose on a path of the least resistance of the same old things like they have always been? Okay? So the reason why we're studying about Ruth is because she chose to do this. And then I want you guys to remember from a few lessons ago, there was another woman who was also foreign who did something very similar. Do you guys remember what her name was? Rahab, there you go. Good job, girls. Good job. So it's very similar with her, right? Because she was in her own world. She lived in Jericho, remember? Just like that line over there. And the, the little introduction of God's story and God's truth was who in her life? Who brought God's truth in her life? Aha, so the two spies are the ones that come and sort of in her normal life over there, they're the ones that come over there and conflict her or confront her with the truth of God and God's kingdom. And as a result, she chooses to go back and that's what she ends up doing. She ends up coming back into God's people. In other words, she accepts what God's people. So that, all I'm saying is that that is not that different from what happens with every single one of us, okay? Because we, before we are in Christ or in God, we are idol worshippers because we don't really understand what we're doing, okay? You know, we, we may seek, we may have good intentions, but if our focus of our worship is not in the right place, then it's idol worship because we're not worshiping the right thing, you know? We may worship people, leaders, we may worship principles, we may worship uh, education, we may worship family, we worship uh, government, you may worship work, etc. All those different things, or religion. But if it's not focused right, then it's highly worship, right? So keep that in. Okay, now let's go back to the character. Because this is the really, really cool thing. And remember we dropped off with determination because that's kind of where we left off. Naomi realized that Ruth was determined. So, keep going. Alright, so here it is. So let's look into Ruth's character and see why she is significant and what we can find in her character to glean um, that's good and then kind of what we can apply in our life. So these are simple, but I think you can see how it can be applied into our lives and we can learn something from it. Okay, so the first thing we brought from the first one is determination, okay? Some other words that we can use for that is sure-footedness, commitment, single-mindedness, okay? Oftentimes in life, when you have to make a decision about one thing or another, and it's difficult to make that decision, as in the case with Ruth and Orpah, because their mother-in-law is telling them to do something, which is a good thing, right? But there is something that's a little bit better. So when you decide to do something, as in the case of Ruth, she decided to go with her mother-in-law. She's like, I'm not sure if this is going to be good, but I'm deciding that. She decided determinedly. In other words, there was no turning back in her mind. Once she said, Mother, I am coming with you, she put her foot down and we're going there. I'm not looking back. I'm not looking in Moab. I'm not making two steps forwards, forward, one step back, two step forward, one step back. No, there's none of that. So whenever we come in a situation in life and, and we have prayed, and we have thought about what it is that we need to make a decision on, and we have decided to do that, 
then make a determination, be sure-footed, be strong, be single-minded, and then do your best committed to that direction in life, okay? We can learn that from her character. She does that. And as a result of that, now that she's determined and they've gone into the land of Israel, and she's like, I'm determined. We're going to make this work. We're going to be together. I'm going to help you. You know, we have to make this work. There's no turning back, in other words. Like, their determination is single-minded. And as a result, she has to help her mother-in-law. And as a result, she ends up building a fruit of hard work in her life. So let's see kind of what, how that is um, exemplified in Ruth's life. So it says, and Ruth, the Moabite, no, sorry, back there. And it says in, the, in verse 2 over there, it says, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, they're in Israel. <coughs> Ruth wakes up one morning um, and says to Naomi, her mother-in-law, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. So I want you to think about this. These are two women that went back into a land after many, many years <coughs> later on down the road. And uh, it is, uh, they don't have hardly anything. Okay, there's no, there's no land and food. They didn't plant anything. They don't have food that's stored from last season. There's not much, but they have to find something to eat. Okay, so as a result, Ruth says, we came here, we're determined. We're going to figure out something to do. I'm going to go and find some food for us. Okay, so she says, I'm going to go and go behind where people are harvesting and see if I can find some kind of food that's on the ground. Okay, so... She's starting strong. In other words, she's like, I'm going to start strong. I'm going to wake up in the morning and go and look for food. And also we, le we learn that she finishes strong because several verses later, I'm skipping some, but just to kind of give the point here, we realize that she finishes very strong because in 17 it says, so Ruth gleaned, in other words, picked up the seeds from the harvesting in the field until the evening. So she went in the morning to get food for her and mother-in-law because they have to. And she was working all day, right? And then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted, it amounted to about an ephah. Okay, so we learned that when we make a determination for something and we're committed and we're single-minded, then it usually helps us to have an attitude of hard work about it. So what it is that you have made a decision, whether it is to start going to school, whether it is to get married, whether it is to start a new job, whether it is to move to another house, whether it is to have a family and have children or adopt, whether it is to um, switch jobs or relocate, etc. Whatever changes and directions and, and, and choices you had to make in life, when you make them with a strong determination and confidence and sure-footedness, Usually it will follow with hard work. Wherever you are next into that other place, you will work hard to make it happen. If you are double-minded, when you go into that other land, you will have the attitude of the Israelites they had when they went into the desert because they went into the desert after they left Egypt. And their idea was, this is hard, how much easier it was for us in Egypt where we had onions and garlics and leeks to eat all the time. Okay? So they're looking back. They're not sure who this, right? Whereas Moses' focus is, no, we left, we took, we're going to make it work. So his focus is how to make sure that I find food for these people. I'm not looking back in Egypt, what it was like, because he knows that Egypt was terrible, it was slavery, it was everything. So when we're making a move into something,
determined, be sure-footed, be strong, and then it'll follow with hard work. Okay, so let's go to the next one. All right, so determination, sure-footedness, commitment, hard work. Okay, so I already kind of explained this. What needs to be done if you're missed, if you've made a decision, okay? Um, that's something needs to be done in your homes, in your families, in your work situations. All of us are different, you know. A lot of what's, what's been going on in my life lately has been a work situation and trying to kind of figure out how to make adjustments where I work, etc. You know, so that's kind of where, where I am in, in my mind. But in your life, it may be something different. Um, are there some changes in your life, lifestyle? Um, are there some things that you have to be a little bit more diligent to do? So anyways, whatever needs to be done, be a hard worker at it, you know, do your best. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that the results will come equally for everybody, but yours is to do your hard work. Okay? And I just want you to think about, I often, I often bring the story of foreigners and immigrants because it's kind of my background, so I, I can kind of speak a little bit about it, but there's a lot to be learned from immigrants and uh, people that have picked up families and, and moved into another country to work because they have done something similar to that. You know, when they move from Haiti or Colombia or Macedonia, where I'm from, or from Russia or Ukraine or Poland or Italy, or 100 years ago from Ireland or Germany or Norway, etc., because of difficult times in their, in their original country, and they make that big step to start a new life over there, there is no turning back. So in their minds, we're going to make this work. Same thing with my parents when they moved from Macedonia into Canada. Uh, there is no turning back. So you make things happen. And my, my parents, the, 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 the creativity of how to get a job and how to adjust in a new place and a new climate with very little knowledge of English has been nothing short of fascinating. Because they have to, you know. They, they go over there and they have to have a place to sleep or, or a home, you know. And, and the stories of how they manage to do those things are phenomenal, right? So I think there's a lot that we can learn from people like that. And you will see people that have come from many different parts of the world and how much they have succeeded over here is because there is no turning back to them. There's no looking back. You know, where they came from, it's, it's rubbish and it's clear to them. So they have to look forward. They have to push forward. They have to work hard. And as a result, they achieve amazing things. You know, it's incredible, the stories of immigrants and how much they have achieved once they've come in this country here. So, anyways, a little bit about that kind of determination and hard work. Okay, so there's another one. Go to the next slide. Um, as we do that with the determination after we have made the choice and we do it with hard work, we have to keep in mind, and this is for God's people, that God is with us. And we have to remember that, okay? We have to remember that God is with us. Like we often say when we, when we talk about things over here, you know, God says that I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, so here's how God is with Ruth when she is in Israel. So she went out. We talked about she woke up in the morning to start and go get, gather some food. So she went out, entered a field. So she goes over there and sees a field where people are working. And she's just going to go behind them and pick up what's left over. So they are the ones that are picking up the main stalks of, of the grain. She's just going to go behind sort of like the birds and just pick up here and there what's left. Okay. You know, that's, that was allowed in the culture of Israel, especially for people that were poor. Which says, she went out, entered the fields, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turns out, 
She was working in a field belonging to Boaz. And here's a really cool character that we like. Who was from the clan of Elimelech. Who is Elimelech? Where did we mention that name? When we started the story, we talked about the two sides. That's right. So on the side uh, in Judah over there, we had the family of Elimelech, who was married to Naomi. Okay, so pretty much Ruth goes over there, and she goes into a field, and she doesn't really know. She just kind of enters a field. But this field that she's picking up stuff belongs to Boaz, and Boaz is related to her late husband or her husband who passed away okay so so they're related but she doesn't know but because God is working in the story and he's guiding you know Ruth is committed she's determined she's hardworking. God is walking with us right and he's providing so she didn't know that but the field belonged to Boaz who was from the clan of Elimelech in other words from uh, related to Naomi and just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters the Lord be with you so Boaz comes, he's the owner of the field. He goes over there, people are working on the field. He says, good day, people, the Lord be with you, okay? And they answer the Lord's blessing. And then Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, hey, who is a young girl over there picking up behind? Not that I'm mad that she's doing it, but this is my land. I'm a good steward of it. I want to make sure that things are doing, done properly over here, okay? So he asked her that. So go on the next slide. Okay, so... He asks the person, he explains like who she is, etc. He kind of tells them that she belongs to Naomi. And then he's like, oh, that's relative, etc. And then she goes over to the girl and Boaz says to her, says, my daughter, listen to me. So my daughter means that there was a little bit of an age difference. Okay, so Ruth and Boaz are a little bit of an age difference between the two of them. Okay, he's a little bit older than her. He says, don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So what is Boaz doing for her? Welcoming her. She's like, my daughter, we are related. It's good. Um, you're more than welcome to be here. As a matter of fact, I told the man to look out for you. She's a young girl, okay? They're, they're, they're new in the area. Uh, young girls, it can be kind of a difficult situation. There's a bunch of men in the field. Anything can happen. But he went over there and talked to the man. Like, nobody's touching this girl. She's related to us. Make sure that she, you know, has enough food, etc. Nobody does anything to her. Make sure she has water to drink, etc. So he's looking out for her. So go on the next slide. Okay. At this she bows down with her face to the ground. She asked him, what, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? So she's, she's not, not that she's just a poor person. She's not even an Israelite. She's a foreigner, okay? And all of a sudden, this owner of a field, very respected man, very high man, okay, goes over and does all these nice things for her. And she says, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me just a foreigner, okay? That big why. Okay, so why is he so nice to, to her? Like, what was he told when he asked his people? Remember earlier, he went over and asked them, hey, who is that girl, right? Remember? And they told him something about this girl 
that made him go and treat her really, really nicely, okay? So what was Boaz told? Let's go on the next slide. <clears throat> Boaz replied, I've been told, and I'm going to stop here for a second, and I'm going to ask, how would this statement finish if they were talking about truth? Who is that uh, woman sitting next to Kevin? Or who is that boy sitting next to Kevin? Or who is that boy that's running the slides on the computer? Okay. Uh, or who are those three kids over there on the table talking while somebody's teaching a lesson? <coughs> right? So how would that statement finish if they were talking about you? Okay. What are the things that you have done in the secret? silently, you know, without anybody no noticing. Things that have consequences over a period of time, you know. Um, what are the continuity of actions of your life over a span of time, okay? Okay, that you have done. Because here's the thing to keep in mind. Uh, there is a story about you, whether you're aware of it or not. So, what you have done, how you carry your life, the character that you have, the story that's associated with your name has a lot of power. So when somebody, when Boaz went over and asked, who is that girl, all of those things about her were brought to the forefront. Things that she did over many years. Things that she did not to be seen or heard Things she did because it was the right thing to do and things she did because it was the righteous thing or the loving thing to do, especially to her mother-in-law. So, some of those things may never have been brought to the forefront or to the attention of people. But, in her case, they did. They were brought to the forefront. Because Boaz went over and asked, who's that girl? And the person is like, oh yeah, let me tell you about that girl. So let's see in Ruth's case what they actually told about her. Boaz replied, I have been told about you, what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and you came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. In other words, there is a story associated with you. The way you live your life has to say something, okay? Sooner or later, that will be brought to the forefront, okay? And it's going to have a weight. One of these days, an employer is going to ask about you. Who is that boy? Should I hire him? Uh, one of these days, for the young ones, uh, the parents of, of the future wife or future husband will ask, who is that boy? Is that boy worth, or who is that girl? Is that girl worth being the wife or the husband of my child, okay? Um, sooner or later, somebody's going to ask, tell me about that person. And they are going to say about you all of those things that you've been doing over a period of time. So, in other words, be faithful and keep on doing the things that you've been doing, right? Um, in due time, so in due time, there will be a harvest, okay? Let's go on the next one. All right. And then at the end, after he says all those things, she shows humility. As much as he has lifted her up on a pedestal, you've done fantastic. Her response is, 
May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. She said, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. In other words, she's clear-minded. She knows this person is being kind to me because they choose to do so, not because I deserve it. I am not, I'm not anybody in this place. I'm just a foreigner. I'm just a person that came over here. I'm poor. I'm going behind these workers, picking up the leftover grains. I'm nothing. So she understands her loneliness, and she's very clear about it. She's like, I'm not much. You know, I, I know that. And you have chosen to give me lots of goodness and lots of kindness. So it keeps her humble. So having a good level head about that. So those are several things that she exhibits that are really phenomenal characters, right? That determination to do something and to be very committed, to put all your effort into it, hard work, whatever you decided to do, no looking back, and being diligent in doing the good things over a long period of time without people knowing, because in due time, somebody will ask, and they will have been told things about you, okay? So let's go to the next one. And then, <clears throat> very briefly here, we're going to talk about Boaz's character, okay? And this thing is going to be mentioned, the guardian redeemer. So here's the verse where that's mentioned, and I'll explain what that means. <clears throat> After this whole conversation, she comes back, and she talks to Naomi, and she tells her mother-in-law, look, I met this man, he's fantastic, he's the best, he's so cool. And she explains to him, and she's like, I know who that guy is, okay? So she, see what she says. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative, right? He is one of our guardian redeemers. So what's a guardian redeemer? Okay? A guardian redeemer is a close relative in the culture of Israel that was designated, that was given the responsibility to care for other members of the family when they fell into difficult times. And it could have been many difficult things. You know, it could have been they, they, uh, their land didn't produce enough, so they were, they were poor. Uh, it could have been that, you know, they lost somebody um, or other kind of trouble happened. So they were sort of the, the helper when things were not good. This idea of redemption is a very, very important idea all the way throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it is spoken very explicitly in Leviticus 25, 25 through 55, and he talks about redemption in many different levels. And it says the person is to be redeemed after this happens. When they lose the land and they're poor, somebody's supposed to redeem them, okay? So this person, guardian redeemer, is a very, it's a highly esteemed and a noble uh, and a very righteous position and a very, uh, it's a high honor to be given um, to somebody you're given that, that, that position of guardian redeemer because it shows that you have shown yourself to be responsible and to do the right thing, okay? So, we talked about the redemption in many different times. After trouble, somebody got in a fight, in, in trouble with the law, etc. After poverty, many different problems, internal, external, family, etc. Oftentimes, redemption after slavery is mentioned in the Bible, okay? After somebody has been slaved because they haven't been able to pay their debts, so they're supposed to be redeemed after a period of time. In other words, this idea of redemption is woven into the fabric of, of God's story from the very beginning. Okay? And then we can see that the ultimate redeemer in God's story is indeed God, who through Jesus is redeeming us to himself. Okay? So this idea of God and redeemer is a very 
It's a very interesting, wonderful uh, position. So Boaz, he's a guardian redeemer. In other words, he's awesome. Like he's like the coolest person ever. Okay. So let's go to the next slide. All right. So we're kind of flipping now, and now we're going to talk about the good advice a little bit, and this is going to wrap up our story. So. We have really cool people. We have Ruth and we have another super cool dude named Boaz. So the mother-in-law is thinking, light bulb, this could work. Like we can actually bring these people together. So after the death of her husband, Malon, Ruth places herself under the authority of her mother-in-law. Okay, so when she was married to Malon, who was Malon? Who was he? He was her husband, but who was he? That's right, Elimelech and Naomi's boy. Okay, so when she was married to him, he was her authority. So she was married to him. She was kind of following his authority and his leadership. But as soon as he died, she placed herself under the authority of her mother-in-law because her father-in-law, Elimelech, had also died. And additionally, when she chose to go with her mother-in-law back to Israel, back to Judah, uh, she reinforced that commitment to be under her authority. So, a little, a little bit of word for uh, maybe some of my young ones. We talk about this a lot over here. The authority. Who is authority in your life and how respectful are you of them? So, who is the number one authority in your life of the people in your life? Of, like, living people in your life. Who is number one authority? Hmm? Your mom. That's right. So mom or dad, okay? So of all the living people in your life, obviously the ultimate authority is God over us. But when we talk about people, there are several people that are in authority and, and a godly character will exhibit respect and submissiveness to the people in authority over their life. So for the young ones, number one, parents, okay? How about somebody else? Who is somebody, somebody else that's in authority over you? A teacher, absolutely. A pastor, absolutely, right? Um, who else? The law, that's right. You know, politicians or police officers, etc. If you, a lot of you guys are into sports, your coach is a person in authority. So, all of these people in authority, you need to show what towards them? Respect. So. I'm not necessarily like one of the big people in authority over here, but when you guys are just messing around over there and not paying attention, do you show respect to me as a person of authority speaking into your life right now? Like yes or no? No, absolutely, very clearly. So it should be yes, right? When somebody comes and is placed in a position of authority in your life, that's for your own good. So the person of authority in Ruth's life is her mother-in-law, right? And she knows that she desires her best. And she places herself trustingly under her authority. Okay? So, one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, says to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you. Okay? She's an authority over you. She's like, it's my responsibility to kind of desire the best, to look out for you. And you're a young woman. You need to have a home where you can have a family. She's like, I have to find a home where you will be well provided for. Next slide. And Naomi advises Ruth about possible marriage. Look, she says, I think this is going to work. We have this awesome relative on one side, and then you need a husband. 
I think this is going to work and I'm going to tell you some things to do and you're going to do that. And because Ruth placed herself under authority with her mother-in-law, like she committed to listen and follow her, she respects her, she is going to follow the advice. If she before that does not place herself under authority of the person that's in leadership over her, she will not follow the advice. So oftentimes if we're not following advice and if we're fighting, the problem is not that we're just forgetting about the advice, the problem is the authority. Okay? The problem is we have not placed ourselves under the authority. So for my kids over here, the most important thing is understand your position in the hierarchy, in the order of your home, where your parent is the authority. Okay? And if you position yourself in your proper place, things are going to be great because you're going to realize that your parent desires the best for you. They want the best for you. They love you and they're going to guide you. But if you are fighting that authority all the time, then it's going to be really hard to listen to what they say to you, etc., etc., because you're questioning whether they have the best interest in mind for you. So it starts with authority, but because she listens, the authority is in the right place, she's going to listen to her mom. So, now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, this is Naomi speaking to Ruth. He's like, hey, Boaz, this really awesome guy, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. So she restates it. She already told her once, but she's telling her again. He's like, tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. To wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. So what is he telling her? Preparation. In other words, put your best foot forward. What is this next thing that you have to do? Present yourself as best as you know how, right? Oftentimes in the Bible it says, look, you know, just... There's maybe a time for sorrowing, etc. But when is a time for putting your best foot forward? Yet it says oftentimes olive oil and you know fix your hair and put nice clothes. And I didn't really dress up for that occasion. No, I don't. It's kind of don't. I don't know why I dressed up today. Don't ask me. But uh, but put your best foot forward, no matter what it is. You know, if it's about a job, just go and present yourself to best. Get the best resume. Put the best thing. Okay. If you're going on a date with somebody um, and and. Put your best foot forward. Clean up, uh, put something smelly on you, all that stuff, etc. So whatever we're doing in life, don't do, again, half-hearted things. If I'm going to do something, put your best foot forward. So in other words, Naomi tells her, look, you're going to go and maybe start a relationship, do all of these things. Okay, so preparation, best foot forward. How does this apply to your life? I already asked that question. So next slide. We're almost done. Just a few more slides. Okay, Naomi advises Ruth about a possible marriage to Boaz. We're continuing that, and it says, then go... After you've done this thing and you've prepared, then go down to the threshing floor. Who's going to be at the threshing floor? Boaz is, right? And he's been kind of working and doing stuff, and at the end of the day, he's going to be tired. He says, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. So he's been working all day. He's going to be hungry. <clears throat> let the man sit down, rest, etc. So it has a little bit to do with timing. So strategy. In other words, kind of be smart about the things that you're doing, okay? And then he says, when he lies down... Note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So there's some really kind of explicit steps that Naomi gives to her daughter-in-law about this. Okay, so let's go to the next slide to finish up. Okay, and Ruth's response to her mother-in-law is, I will do whatever you say. Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Next slide. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. 
This is Boaz. He turned over, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are our guardian, redeemer of our family. And I want you to think those, to link those two words. Spread, so do something, since you are something. Very, very, very important. So what is Ruth doing? Ruth is claiming the truth about who Boaz is. She was told that Boaz is the guardian redeemer, and now she is saying to him, do this because you are so-and-so. Do this, show me goodness, you know, spread the covering over me because you are our guardian redeemer. So she's telling him what his responsibility is. But she's not just reminding him that that's his responsibility. She's saying that I believe you are who you say that you are. Okay? So it is the same with us and God. Do we believe God is who he said he is? Oftentimes I remember in the old church, you know, Pastor Clayton would, would say when he was inviting people to, to come in and, and uh, for salvation. You know, he would ask, he would say, <clears throat> if you believe God, you know, just you believe it and you accept it. It's just as simple as that, you know. But you have to you have to go to God and say, God, I believe that you are saving me through Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the Redeemer. He is the Guardian Redeemer. So since you are the Guardian Redeemer, save me. And that's just as simple as that. So that's what Ruth is saying. She's like, I believe you are who you're supposed to be. Do this thing for me. Fulfill your purpose and continue with Jesus. Okay? Um, so oftentimes when we pray, uh, we can... It's not like we're reminding God when we say things that God says about his character, but we're also actually saying the things that we believe about who God is in his word. Okay? And let's finish it up. These are the last two verses, and, uh, and we'll close with this. Um, so Boaz, several things happen over there in the story. He kind of makes sure things are, are right before he marries Ruth, but Boaz eventually takes Ruth. And she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to, be, to receive, and she gave birth to a son. And then in 16, it says, Naomi took the child in her arms. So this is grandma now. Took the child in her arms and cared for him. So she helped out her daughter-in-law and Boaz. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. Um, is that really her son? No, it's her grandson, right? But she has a son because her son died, so it's kind of like implied. And they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of So we see how both of the foreign women, both Rahab and now Ruth, God's story weaved into their lives. They chose to accept God's truth and God's story, and they got connected into God's story. And as a result, they were placed into the lineage of the King David, who is in the lineage of All right, so that's it. Um, let's, um, I think we can pray, and then uh, we're good to go, right? Sorry. It's like 